Welcome to the Mum Mind podcast, or how to stop your mother falling out of your mouth. I'm Steph McSherry, mum of two and creator of Kinderama, a multi-activity programme for younger kids, and I've been working with that age group for 20 years. Hello, I'm Bethan O'Reardon. I'm a psychotherapist. I'm a mum of three, and I run the Camp Parenting Club, an online low-cost parenting community. Each week, Steph and I will answer one of your parenting questions and come up with practical solutions to help make your parenting life easier. If you want us to answer one of your questions, email us themummind at gmail.com. Also really helps if you follow or subscribe us wherever you're listening to this podcast. And just a little word of warning, this week's episode is a little sensitive. So uh, we've given it an explicit rating for a reason. So if little ears are around, perhaps uh, pop the earplugs in. Earpods, earplugs, you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Put the kids somewhere else. Yes. This week we have a guest, Owen Cleary, uh, who will introduce himself. Hi everybody, um, my name is Owen and I'm a teacher and assistant principal at Temple Carrick Secondary School. So we have kind of listened to you a lot recently on Radio 1 and different podcasts um, because you have somehow found yourself specialising in a subject <laughs> that maybe you never intended to. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely not. It wasn't what I intended to do when I came into teaching. I'm actually an English and drama teacher and I, <laughs> produce the shows and direct the, the, all the shows in school that's that's um, I, how I got into teaching in the first place um, but n- I suppose through talking with my students about five years ago I identified or they identified a massive gap in their learning around what their expectations were when it came to sexual interaction uh, as teenagers and and as um, uh, soon-to-be adults Um, so for the last five years I've been developing a course within school and trying to um, educate students and parents as much as I can about the um, prevalence of their exposure to porn and pornographic material and how that is massively impacting their expectations of what they feel is expected of them in life when it comes to having sex with somebody. And I think I think a lot of adults these days, they were like, well, you know, we had porn too. You know, there were there were magazines, there were this, there were that. But this is a whole nother level, right? And I think that's a, it's a, one of the biggest issues um, that is there because uh, the current generation of parents, um, uh, the current generation of adults don't realise, well, sorry, some do because a lot of them are using it. But certainly an awful lot of parents don't realise that the nature of porn has changed dramatically. And, and, and this comes up in the classroom, you know, when I try and explain to the students, uh, you know, that their parents' understanding of porn is totally different because it, like you said, it was on a magazine on a top shelf and uh, you might have had one that got shared around a classroom. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you can, and you considered yourself lucky if that was the case. <laughs> um, but but now they have, but now uh, every single student and, and, and over... 54% of um, young people in Ireland have 24 hour access to the internet uh, on smartphones every single day. And and I suppose the way we need to start thinking about it is not just in terms of the, the child having access to the internet, but in terms of the internet having unfettered access to your child. And they are bombarded before they even consider themselves as sexual beings. They are bombarded with pornographic material um, at a at a remarkable rate. And I suppose it's not just the what has now become what is now regarded as very tame um, softcore 
porn that we would have been exposed to now there is it it's not imagery it's video content of the most violent misogynistic uh, aggressive um hugely degrading generally to women but not just women um content that's available sexually explicit content that's available in the world and they can access any of it and and not only can they access it but it is often pushed on them from as soon as the internet realizes that they're there and that's really important right because i think a lot of parents would go well my child's not going looking for that but they don't need to be going looking for that absolutely and and i mean i know that that is the response of so many parents and and unfortunately well yeah unfortunately like we have the research and the statistics are there like by the age of 18 98 to 99% of young people have been exposed to pornography by the time they get into secondary school over a third uh, are using it um and that's something that um and even if yeah if and it's yeah it's not about my child wouldn't or that's not what my child would be like it's about i know from talking to a group of um, for and I don't bring it up with young people under the age of 16 but actually I suppose probably because the work I've been doing it's coming up now because they realise I can talk about it it's coming up earlier and early in school and I have a group of second years who are 14 years old saying you know I get direct messages every morning through Instagram asking me for nude selfies or I'm watching a gaming tutorial and a pop-up will appear or a comment will appear in the in the discussion of it oh Pornhub's down for the next hour oh dear or uh, check out my my link or my videos on Pornhub, and and the, and I I know and on other shows I've done we try not to advertise that particular website, but it, this isn't it's like this isn't about um, advertising it so to get no. more feeds. It's about educating parents. And what I, and what I often say is if you if you want to know if you want to know what your children are seeing, just type Pornhub into Google. And look at the look at the homepage and and read the titles of the videos and see the videos that are coming up just on the homepage. And it's so upsetting for adults to see that this is what an eight year old or a nine year old might be when they innocently click on a link that a, a gamer has said, oh, while you're waiting, click on this. Wow. Frightening. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I think, um, do you know, always this conversation reminds me of I, I feel in like a, a really lucky position in some way that I get to meet loads of uh, young adults, teenagers one-on-one -on -one in my therapy practice or online. So I get to hear, I guess I started out as a youth worker. You said that at the beginning as well. Yes, yes. So I used to do loads of sex education and sexual health work in the UK. And when I came over here, it was totally different, right? It was like a whole different thing altogether um, in that things were hidden and conversations weren't had. And I, I, I feel... So like now I might work with like these 16 year old guys who come to me for one thing, you know, maybe, I don't know, just some some part of their life. And then there's always a conversation that happens around sex. Mm -hmm. And the conversation usually is like one guy said to me, I, I, I lied to the boys at school and said I didn't have a sister because I didn't want them talking about her the way they talk about other women. And I, I, I mean, like I, even like the pressure of this stuff is enormous. You know, it's enormous for these teenagers to hold, to carry, to manage. They don't know what to do with it. And it's and it's like you said, you know, like we can't not name the websites because it doesn't yeah. mean they're going to go away if we don't not name them. And I, I met a mom recently who got her 16 year old 
a subscription to make love not porn oh, yeah. um for 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 his birthday instead for eth- ethical porn you know because I, I think there's options out there but maybe maybe I digress a bit um Owen oh, I'd love to ask you you know I guess I used to work with teachers a long long time ago teaching well-being and the one thing that kept coming back was that they're absolutely at capacity. You know, I remember one woman went, I teach science, I teach geography, I teach English, and now I've got to teach the fucking recycling as well. You know, and she was like, and like, oh, my internet's gone. And she was, and she was totally stressed. She was totally, totally overwhelmed. And so how do you find teaching this in a secondary school? Um, I'm very lucky in that I have a management who provides me with the hours to make this work within the curriculum. But you're right. Uh, and this is a massive problem, particularly now with the curriculum changing. It's fantastic that the curriculum is changing. It's fantastic from the student's perspective that porn is going to be talked about and, and that they're going to become educated in a critical manner in, in what they're seeing. But nobody no teacher is qualified to teach well-being or SPAG if that's not what you primarily qualify in you qualify like you said in Spanish and or history or both or English or drama and then what happens is or how it works is the timetable uh, is set based on those subjects and then whoever's free in the timetable when SPAG is meant to happen they get slotted in and they might be totally disinterested totally unsuitable, totally unqualified, totally inexperienced to talk about anything from bereavement to sex ed to now porn to how to make friends to recycling. And they're all hugely important. Like just to, to and I know I'm digressing slightly, but just within the um, confines of the program, like the bereavement class is 40 minutes. So a teacher has 40 minutes to teach every single student in front of them uh, how to deal with bereavement. And that's something that every single one of us is going to uh, experience at some stage. And if a child misses that class, they never get it. Yeah. Ever. Jo- job done. 40 minutes. That's that. That's you know? Great. Yeah. yeah. And we'll all be fine now. Good luck. That was nice and efficient, wasn't it? Just, just <laughs> slotted it into for great. They, they, they should tell us therapists how to do that too. And, and, then... suppose, and there's an expectation that teachers know what a child needs to do in that situation if they're going through bereavement or, and, and, or, or how to explain to them what it's like to go to that or, or experience loss and the things they can expect to go through when they experience loss. But most teachers haven't a clue. They don't even know how to deal with themselves when it happens, you yeah. know? So the, the, the subject need. I mean... The subject has not that it's become a bit of a joke. It's becoming more and more essential that it's taken seriously. And it isn't taken seriously enough yet at any level. Like there's an awful lot of lip service being paid to it at the moment from the Department of Education. But if they really cared about it, they'd actually quite like there's a new program. There's a new course. It's the first time that there's a postgraduate um, course being rolled out for teachers to become qualified in SPG. There's 30 places on it. I have 30 teachers in the school alone in my department <laughs> teaching it. And why isn't it part of teacher education? Why, when you go to do the professional masters in education, which they've just turned from a one year into a two year and don't really know how to fill those two years, why don't you have every single teacher able to teach these skills so that everybody in the school can talk about them? So that there's a school culture whereby everyone can talk about sex and everyone can talk about consent and everyone can talk about porn and become something that 
there's a culture shift as opposed to just a tick the box. Yeah. And I do that's think amazing. that's starting. I do think that's starting, but I think you've just kind of highlighted why it's so much more important that parents are able to do this because if they're not getting it at school, we're missing opportunities. And personally, I think the junior cycle is far too late for these conversations. A hundred percent. And I mean, there's an awful lot of controversy that's going to be taught before the junior search. But I mean, if you're giving a child a smartphone at the age of eight, that's when you, in fact, you need, we, you need to be having these conversations before you give them the smartphone because you need to hand them the smartphone saying, now, do you, are you, do you feel okay about everything that we've talked to that you might be exposed to and that you can come and talk to me about that when that happens, that conversation needs to happen before you. And, and I hate uh, kind of you know swinging the conversation around to parents because I am not a parent and I don't want to judge parents or or give out to parents about it but the schooling and the SPHE curriculum it is meant to be supplementary to parents yeah. parents in the and in the Irish constitution parents are still the primary educator of their child we're only meant to be there as a kind of a safety net you know if a certain parent is in a situation where they can't have these conversations mm. or maybe the child has missed out on some knowledge that a parent hasn't been in a position to provide. But it is primarily a parent's job uh, to take responsibility for what their children are going to be exposed to. And I suppose the uh, the access that they're providing the Internet to their child. Yeah, and I, I think as well, right, and this, like, bear with me, I will get to the point of this because it does relate to what we're talking about. So I I did a lot of um sort of campaigning for the repeal the eighth, right? I thought it was like a really yeah. important part of women's rights. And so I met loads of women. We would just meet and knock on doors or do flyer drops or poster drops or whatever it was. And at the same time, there was a case going on in court and it, it, it was of the girl and the rugby team, right? Or the couple of boys. I, I, can't, I can't remember exactly the specifics of it. And it was, um, and loads of women were talking and they would say, that just was my sexual experiences growing up, you know? So, so now, I mean, I certainly was not taught consent growing up, yeah. you know? So I, and like, I'm a therapist, whatever that means, <laughs> you know? So it is a process of relearning ourselves, you know, like I wasn't taught porn literacy. I, I, I do think in some way, cause I grew up in Scotland. I was saying this to Steph by the age of primary four, which is, like a we maybe third class here we were getting tampons and putting them in glasses of water to see how they expanded the boys went to the shop to buy period products which were then called sandwich towels for the girls and come back and we would look at them and see what they'd so we were taught about bodies we were taught about you know we were putting like condoms on carrots we had like beer goggles in secondary school where we then had to try and put condoms on carrots yeah. you know and and it was like and and but I think a lot of mums and a lot of dads who I've met, it is about them going and relearning their uh, consent as well. You know, what, what on earth did consent mean to me 20 years ago? Very different to what it means now. Well, and you know? I, was, I was saying this on last week's episode, the earlier, the better. Like even I, I work with primarily the under sixes. So we don't talk about consent, but I do say, you know, a lot of teachers will say, oh, give him a hug to say sorry. And the child's like this going, no, I don't want a hug. No, he, and, and saying to that child, look, he doesn't want a hug. You can see by his body language, he doesn't want a hug. It starts there. Absolutely. It, it starts with that, you know, let's look at what that person wants to receive and doesn't want to receive. Yeah, it, and, and I think there's a lot of people uh, at the moment 
being triggered by that whole idea that uh, you can't force your can't force your um child to give their granny a hug for example you know yeah. and that's kind of a, a lot of things I hear well that's ridiculous of course he should have to give his her his granny a hug or her granny a hug but actually no we do yeah. have to shift our understanding with that and and it's just about uh, I had two children staying with me recently uh young kids uh three and four and um and their mother <laughs> suggested they give me a hug and I just said, oh, I'd, I'd love a hug. Would you like to give me a hug? You don't have to. And I've just gotten into the habit of just saying that yeah. every. And then the child is just in a position where and it's not about them. It's not about them saying, no, I don't like <laughs> they haven't said no yet. Um, <laughs> but, but it's just a, about creating a space where they get to make the decision where where I suppose it becomes an intrinsic part of their life that they have bodily autonomy. And, yes. and, and also, it, it's also about like, because we have these discussions in the class with the students and they're like, well, I didn't consent to come to school, so I should go home. And I was like, no, actually, like, yes, you're complying to come to school, but that is not also, that's not to do with somebody touching you or you yeah. still have bodily autonomy in school and in class. So that like there is a whole nuance and everybody wants to be black and white and everybody wants to be simple, but it isn't simple. Uh, mm. You need to have these nuanced discussions as adults, as grannies, as uncles. As, and and the Dublin Ray Crisis Centre actually have just launched their We Consent campaign to try and bring this out of the classrooms and bring it to the wider public uh, and to have a whole national discussion about consent uh, and sex and sex not being, um, I suppose having so much fear and shame and guilt associated with it as well uh, certainly some of my experience was when I was being raised um, but but that sex is fun and, and that sex is pleasurable and that consent is fun and consent is pleasurable and actually consent is what makes sex fun and consent is what makes sex pleasurable and that conversation is happening in classrooms but it needs to happen it it needs to I mean wouldn't it be amazing if we just and I, and I always say this you know the, the uh, youth workers in the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre and therapists, you're trying to do yourself out of a job. You're trying to create a culture where you're not needed anymore. Like, yes. It would be amazing where like eight-year-olds just knew that, oh, hang on a second, what are you doing? Like, you can't you can't do that. I, I You didn't ask me. And yeah. you don't even have to have that discussion with them when they get to 15 or 16 or 17 because obviously if I ca- if somebody needs to ask me whether they can hug me, then obviously I need to ask somebody if I can have sex with them or if I can uh, initiate any kind of sexual interaction with somebody yeah yeah and that's so important yeah and I I, I think as well something that um something that young men so by young men I mean like 14 15 16 talk to me about is masturbation yeah right and I always wish that men would talk to men about masturbation because I don't know what it's like to have a penis, right? <laughs> you know, I, I because... do. <laughs> <laughs> come on then. <laughs> um, so, I, but you know, like I can talk about things from my perspective, right? I can never break confidentiality focus in a, my therapy room. I wouldn't want to anyway. Yeah. But I, I feel that like a man's urges are different to women's in some way. You know, like for me to be ready for sex, 
I'd need like the dishes to, I mean, this is how I lay down. <laughs> like I need, I need the dishes to be done and the washing to be I, folded. Have you, have you seen the new ad? Yeah, have you seen the first ad of that We Consent campaign? Oh no, no. is that it? Oh, it's absolutely brilliant. So it looks at teenagers and, and uh, it looks at a, a, a heterosexual couple and a gay couple. and But there's a, a kind of a married, middle-aged married couple. <laughs> And they, uh, she's after roaring up the stairs, something to the kids, and he just looks at her and drops the bag of, of the <laughs> drops the basket of laundry, um, and then that's it. I mean, like, like if I texted my husband now, he'd be home. I said, "We'd be <laughs> home, in, you know. Can you be home in three minutes? I mean, like there would be dust on the road. Do you know what I mean? But I feel that, like you know." I mean, maybe, you know, young girls don't have this urge to have the dishes done before they also become intimate with someone because they're at a different stage of their life. But it's this thing about how men and women are fundamentally different, you know, when it comes to sex and sexual urges in some way, because as you said, this stuff is gray area kind of stuff, you know, and it's almost like the young men I meet are looking for guidance on like, how many times is it okay to wank in a day? You know, and yeah. what um, what is it okay to look at when I'm having the wank? Because if 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 I've got to the third one of the day, I I need more material to get me there. You know, and and like I think if men could have these conversations, who were also teenagers, yeah. right? Who <laughs> said, well, you know, I would knock out however many a day or whatever it is, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, but I feel that, but this is the reality of it. So then it's not. Because then I meet, I meet these young adults who are like, you know, I go to the toilets in school and try and have a wank there. Is that OK? You know, and, and I will never say yes or no. It's I'm, I'm not yeah. there. I, I'm there to help them figure this out for themselves. But also for me as a therapist, the tricky thing for about about porn is, is that people are experiencing a feeling and then they're often going to masturbate to offset that. So often anxiety comes with excessive masturbation is one of like the links. And then if you've got your phone there and you're in school or you're out and you can nip to a public toilet, you know, that's when this stuff becomes we've, we've moved really far away from just um, your feelings and tolerating them. And, yeah. and you know what you were saying about, um, you know, this kind of lip service to well-being yeah. type thing. So many of the teenagers I meet come and say to me, I don't want to see another poster about well-being. I don't want anyone to talk to me about my mental health. I just want someone to pay attention to me when I tell them I'm not okay. Right. Instead of it being like, yeah. here's a flyer, here's a leaflet. But look, here, here's the five signs of anxiety. Did you do your mindfulness today? They're yeah. like, I don't care. Nobody's asking me how I am. So they're getting lost and then they're going to their phone. They're going to the toilet and they have a phone like this is really tricky. You've touched on so many things there that I want to respond to. No. <laughs> first Rewind. Of all, yeah, no, I need to remember uh, so that I don't get lost. But um, first of all, just on uh, the wanking, and and it's and it's so it's great that you brought it up because I I don't always know if if people want to talk about it, but we do talk about it in the class because as soon as we discuss porn, uh, as soon as they uh, address. As soon as they make those lists of what they feel is expected of them in porn, and I know we haven't talked. Uh, sorry, in sex, because and then yeah. I know we haven't talked about that yet. But and then they and then I ask them, well, God, where where are those expectations coming from? And they say it's porn, and then we have a big discussion about porn. Uh, I then say, well, oh, hang on, because porn, like, it's really important that we acknowledge why we're like porn isn't a passive activity. It's not on in the background, and you kind of laugh at it like you would in yeah, another point. form of entertainment. Like it's not, you're not using it for entertainment. It, you're using it. Uh, you're yeah. not watching it, you're using it. And we need to talk about what we use it for. 
and 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 they're very open to say masturbation. I say, okay, well, that's that wasn't the word we used for it when we were in school. It definitely isn't the word you for it. What word yeah. do you guys use for it? Because if you say it, then I can say it, and then we can have a chat about it. So then they go, oh, wanking. I go, great, let's have a chat about wanking, and we talk about um uh the um like frequency and um. And this is a mixed class, so there are both guys and girls in the room. And I suppose what's really important to say is, like, the research does suggest that guys use it for wanking more than girls do at the age that they're at. But actually, it was pointed out to me by a group of girls four years ago that that's really unhelpful to say. Because for the girls who are using it to, to wank, uh, they yeah. feel immediately excluded if I say that. So we've just stopped saying that and saying some guys use it to wank, some girls use it to wank. If you don't use it, that's absolutely fine. Don't that's like it's great because you're avoiding all of the, the negative sides of it. But if you are, that's absolutely and sorry. And and I then to tell them about my miseducated uh, experience of masturbation, where we had a guy, uh, a, a um, doctor we got sex ed once a year the doctor came in uh to the hall of 180 guys oh. and he, when i was in school i was told that if you uh, masturbated you'd get hair on the palms of your hands and all the teachers would check who was looking at their hands to see if there was hair on them oh. and he's not gonna lie to you that's not gonna happen don't worry <laughs> you're not gonna get hair on your hands if you masturbate but if you masturbate you will experience um uh erectile dysfunction and that was an oh, and I tell the students this in my class wow. and that was an absolute lie in fact the research the research is starting to show that masturbation actually increases uh, stamina but uh, but we then talk about the difference between master uh, wanking with uh, using your imagination as opposed to wanking with a pornographic stimulus and how that is where the danger comes in and where yeah. that is where it can really start affecting the neuroplasticity of your brain and the students are, after the course they're all well able to discuss the neuroplasticity of their their brain because it's part of the program it's part of this let's get real program that the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre have developed that I now teach as part of the program I do in school and uh, and that's when I suppose it feeds into what you were discussing whereby if they nobody's told them that actually not only is it okay to wank but it's great to wank yeah it's just it's just and and regardless of your gender uh it's great to wank if if you're into it if you have those your urge those urges if you don't that's also great fantastic yeah. but what what's what when it becomes dodgy is when you start training yourself possibly for a decade to be turned on by generally misogynistic violent aggressive performative uh, visual sex and when I say those things it doesn't phase them because they're like well of course it's visual what what else is there to sex except the visual aspect of it um, because they because I suppose for so many students who aren't having sex most of students who aren't having sex at that age all their their, their only exposure to it has been porn and they can't they don't have another experience of it so by the time they do get to have sex with somebody and I explain this to them as well you're in danger of robbing yourself of what sex can actually be and you're only going to have a very elaborate wank into somebody if you're a male um, because that's what you've robbed yourself of by conditioning yourself so frequently with um, pornography 
And just to really highlight that point, when you talk about that, those lists, so you did a survey, an anonymous survey, right, with yeah. with some TY students, was it? Oh, so so the list of their expectations. Yeah. No, so no, that that this is so the list that I that I've been reading out and I'll read it out now for you. Th these lists are just the things that they say to me in every class. So this isn't anonymous. They're sitting in front of me in the room, and they make these lists. Um. I mean, it takes them a couple of weeks to get there. We talk about gender expectations based on your gender around career, around how you're meant to talk to somebody, how you're meant to dress, how you're meant to perform in life. And then we talk about expectations because of gender when it comes to relationships and the roles that you feel you're expected to play there and the problems that come from that. And then we get to, well, what expectations do you have when it comes to sex because you're male or because you're female? And that's when these lists are made and that's when they come out. So it's not anonymized, actually. Wow. Um, but what I say to them is, look, if you've ever heard of anything or, or that you feel is expected of you, if you write it on the sheet and you read it out, I can talk about it. If you don't, I can't talk about it. I'm not going to introduce anything. It would be so inappropriate. And I say this to them. It would be so inappropriate for me to to just like to bring any of this into the classroom or any of my exposure or my experience of sex into the classroom. It has to come from them. So then they make these uh, lists of what's expected of them. And the ones that I read out are on the, on this show, for example, um, they're, they're only the ones that have been common across every single group for the last five years. And, and I have this conversation with a new group every six weeks. So it's every six weeks for the last five years. And the lists are so much more extensive than the ones I read out, but I'm only reading out the ones that are common to every single group I've ever had. And what age are these students? These students are uh, 15 and 16. And go on, give us an idea of what a female would say. Uh, so generally the female students say that they're expected to be submissive um, and to be specific because I asked them, well, uh, and this is, yeah, so I say, well, what does submissive look like? You're not going to walk into a room and go, hello, I'm submissive. So I asked them, what does it, what does submissive look like when you go to have sex? And they talk about choking and slapping. Um, and being thrown around and doing whatever he wants, doing whatever he likes uh, to be kinky, to orgasm or pretend to, to make pleasure noises, to have no pubic hair, or actually to have no hair at all from the neck down, um, to swallow, uh, to give him a blow job, to give him a hand job, to, yeah, that's, that's they're the, and they're, they're just the most common things. I mean, there are extremely explicit lists. I, I have them. I keep them confidentially for the students sake. But um, just in case anybody ever asks me where I come, where I come up with these lists, I have them there and they are so much more specific and so much more explicit. But that is the generalized common expectations across every group I've ever worked with. I, I just find that so sad. Yeah. Well, I suppose the the, the the course can be quite um, scary for me to teach because, uh, not scary, upsetting for me to teach because I hear these things being said as if they're like, as if they're telling me how to make a sandwich out of these 15 year old girls' mouths. But actually the really, really nice thing about the course, which encouraged me to do it every time is the, ex not excitement, no, yeah, excitement and relief that both the girls and the guys feel when they hear each other say, God, I don't want that at all. Like that's yeah. fine. That's like and and we do after we have the 
discussion about porn in the following week, we do make a list of everything that they do want a sexual experience to be like and everything they don't want a sexual experience to be like and then what they need to kind of establish with a person they're going to have a sexual interaction with so that they can make sure that they uh, are most likely to have all of the positive experiences and none of the negative experiences. And I tell them, you know, so many of my friends all of the lists that they, all of the things they say on their negative experiences, that was our experience growing up with sex. Yeah. And so few of my friends ever experienced. And some of them, it took until they heard me talking about it on the radio to come and say to me, my God, I've totally changed how I've, like, first of all, a lot of the uh, my male friends have said, I did not realize how informed my sex life was by porn. And then a lot of my female friends have said, that you know the list of all the negative things that your students make in the class i've only ever experienced those things i can't believe i've never thought about what i actually want my sexual experience to be like and that upsets me as well but it's just brilliant to see a group of 15 year olds and now like five cohorts of 15 year olds coming out of school going no i don't want that i want that and i know how i'm going to get it which is yeah. absolutely brilliant for the t the teat the kids that you're teaching but you've just explained to us off air how difficult it was for you to integrate this into your school you had to go looking for it you had to go looking for the hours you had to make that available to the teachers you had to go through training so the majority of schools aren't doing this no no uh no the majority of schools are not doing this but the dublin rape crisis center are absolutely uh, out the door with their list there the the they just released the dates for their next session to train people up in both the body right program which is for which i delivered to third years it's about avoiding how to be the victim or perpetrator of sexual violence and then the let's get real program which is about the media and porn literacy i deliver that in the next year to um ty students because i only because i got more time in ty to do it but it's not that they need it and they need it so much earlier. But the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre uh, announced their new dates for that and they sold out, not sold out, they're free. Um, they booked out within two hours of it going up on it, online with teachers because teachers are crying out for this training to be provided. And it's just, it's so frustrating that it has to be provided. And I mean, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre and other organisations, I know uh, DCU have one and NUIG have one and uh, the University in Cork has one. And um, but it shouldn't be up to these non-profit organizations to be delivering teaching to training to teachers. It should be rolled out to by the Department of Education so that we can provide the service that we're meant to be providing for our students. Um, and there are no hours in the day. Like that's the question that comes back every time from management. Where are you going to, because I come up with this new idea, this new course yeah. that I want to deliver. You know, this needs to be delivered in first year. This needs to be delivered in second year. This needs to be delivered in third year. And management should say, that's great, Owen. We're totally behind you. Where are you going to put it? Where? And if you can find a place, we'll, we'll help you do it. But where are you going to put it and who's going to teach it? Because you can't teach all of them. Yeah. You know, you also need to teach Shakespeare to six years. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Owen, I wanted to ask you, you know, with the list, right? And I yes. know we have to finish soon, but I just want to ask you this. You know, like with the list and the fact that these young adults say these things to you, yeah. right? I guess I'm thinking about it from my therapy perspective. Yeah. I, I, like I do a lot of work with parents. So what is it about you that means that the these young adults come and say it to you because and I don't know if I don't know if that's like a, a co complex question and I I don't want to put you on the spot but 
a huge part of what Steph and I talk about is this like not punishing kids things. So I'm imagining like an 11 year old or older or younger, I don't know, clicks a link on a phone, goes to the parents and says like, oh, you told me to come to you if I clicked on a link. What is this? And then they get given into massive trouble. The phone gets taken off them. So I'm wondering like, because so much in parenting, I hear this like, I want to be the parent that kids come to, but parents don't act like that. You know, so what is it about you, do you think? And and, um, I hope I don't make you feel uncomfortable by asking you this, but what is it about you that makes these young adults talk with you about like these things that potentially could be the most shameful, could be the most embarrassing, could be the most awkward? How do you be in yourself or how do you present things so that there is an open discussion? Um, I suppose... uh, I've done a lot of training and kind of non-judgment. And I had to approach situations, not just in school, but through youth work and through other practices that I have. Um, I mean, my own personal practices and my relationship. Um, and I just think having worked in the youth service in particular, it was just the most important aspect to bring to a space that whatever the kids say, they aren't going to judge them on it. And, the, and, and I suppose this is, and it becomes, this is when it becomes a personal practice and when it comes a little bit complex is that there's the difference between looking like you're not judging somebody and actually not judging them. Yes. And it's so, so difficult. And I, and I, and I, and I'm, I'm not judge and I'm not judging parents for this, but yeah. I think it's so different, difficult for a parent whose job it is to raise the child and to instill them with the, you know, what they would consider moral values or principles of living. It's so hard then when a child who, who is going to have a totally di- different experience to life than you have and is at some stage going to come to realization that they don't feel the same way than you about everything but when they come to you to to create that space of uh god that's of interest and i think that's what that's what the that's what i try to replace judgment with that i'm interested in what they're telling me so like it's not about oh god that's your experience let's talk about that because and they can tell immediately just by your tone and your facial expression what you're what you're already getting to, yeah. <laughs> to, get to work around you. But actually, and it's the same thing, actually, and I've heard you talk in the past about uh, mental health issues young people are going through. And I've done training around that as well. It's the exact same thing when a child comes to you to explain that they're going through, you know, a difficult process of they are they've uh, thought about hurting themselves or harming themselves. And immediately they can tell if you're if you're trying to get them around to go, God, don't do that. You know, yeah. Whereas what you need to do is say, that's so interesting. Tell me more about that. Like, and what was that like? Or how did that make you feel? Or, or, and, and that does take practice. Um, but I think they do feel that from me because I'm so explicit to them that in the room, we make in a class slightly different than I suppose parent child, but in the room, we make a, a class contract where, uh, and the yeah. and confidentiality comes up. It's one of the first things they ask for. And I say, this isn't just for you guys, this is for me. And when they say that they bring up confidentiality, I say, that's great. I can absolutely guarantee you confidentiality. I will. I have no need in my life to gossip about whatever you guys say in the staff room or to my friends or to parents of, of kids I might know in the room or siblings of kids I might know in the room. Uh, except for these three situations where, where, you know, my obligations come in. And I just explain that to them, where my child protection obligations come in if I'm worried that they're going to harm themselves or somebody else. Um, but as soon as I promise that to them, 
and and then uh, and I say, and by the way, I don't want anything I share with you in this class to be shared outside of the room. I don't want first years coming to me, talking to me about what we've discussed in this class. And it creates a bond, I suppose, with them whereby they feel trusted and they feel they can trust me. Um, and and I suppose, I mean, it, it when porn is mentioned for the first time, when it was mentioned for the first time, like every eyes, every set of eyes in the room was gauging my response. And I, it, I, it's in like, great. I'm glad you said that we need to talk about porn. It was, it, my response is always, wow, that's really interesting. Okay, let's talk about that. Who else feels that way? And it's about, I suppose, yeah, I think being interested instead of having a solution or having an answer or having something that you want to make your child realize about porn. It's not about that. And and that's why the teaching of porn and porn literacy is so important because it's different. It's not about you telling them what the effect that porn is having on them. It's about them realizing because they can see it in their own lives, the effect that it's having on them. And, and the first time a child comes across it at the age of eight, they're going to be sorry if the child comes across it at the age of eight or three, three years of age, which I heard in the most recent uh, Irish survey that was done. Um, Sorry, not Irish, UK survey that was done. Um, but that they're going to be so able to tell you, yeah, God, was, I really didn't like it. it. Like it was violent and she was, you know, grimacing. And But as soon as they hear your tone of voice change or become fearful as opposed to interested, I think that's, I think that if, if parents could, and I, mindfulness comes in here, but if parents could take that moment when that conversation comes at them first to just check themselves and go, don't panic, don't freak out. Yeah. Just be interested in what they've experienced uh, and express your interest in their experience of life as opposed to your fear of, of, of their experience of life, if that makes yes. sense. And yeah, I always say to... And I'm not a parent, so that comes to that. <laughs> well, no, but then you're in a great position to say, I always say to parents, don't say the first two things that you think you want to say. Yeah. You know, that's always like, try and wait and get to like the third or fourth thing. You know, because it, uh, we are wired for fear, right? But the minute the kids feel that off us, then we've lost. But they can, yeah. and before you say, and you don't even have to say you've done something wrong. They're like, oh, God, no, I've done something wrong there. I need to remember not to talk about this again. Yeah. It came up recently with the drugs thing too, right? I went to a community drug talk and all that drug talk was, was don't do it. Don't do it. This is what can happen. This is what can happen. My eldest is 11 and we got into the car afterwards. And I said, actually, the one thing I want you to take away is you are going to see it. You're probably going to do it. Your friends are definitely going to do it. Like, and all I want you to know is that you can come to me and talk about it. Yeah. So it's, so it's actually, not this. Go on. Sorry. Yes. No. It's, so the the way that I've delivered these programs, it's been so successful in getting the students to talk about this very, very difficult or something that we would have assumed is a very, very difficult topic or, or was a difficult topic for us growing up. We've now started to implement that across the different modules that are being taught by different. So I have all of the science teachers talk teaching about drugs because they have the scientific background to be able to explain what uh, happens in your brain. But the approach now is not, these are the drugs and this is what it does. It's what drugs are you being exposed to? And you again, you don't need to tell me that you're using them, but what drugs are you aware of? What drugs are your friends using? What drugs have you seen out there? Uh, and then the students make the list 
and give it to the teacher and the teacher goes great okay let's break up into groups and you're going to research that and you're going to research that and I'm going to research each one of them and then you're going to have all of the information that you possibly can about these drugs again the teacher isn't necessarily going to say don't do them because we feel like that doesn't have the effect that we want but to give them all of the information of why some people do them what are the possible highs but what are the massive dangers around them and why they're illegal and then you're just handing the 15 year old or 16 year old all of the information that they need to make an informed decision about why or why not they will or won't decide to experiment with drugs and that's that i think yeah it's not about again it takes judgment out of the equation and it takes moralizing out of the equation and it just gives them the information that we didn't get when we were growing up and yes and I feel I feel as well, like the 14, 15, 16 year olds that I'm meeting, most adults, and I do include myself in this at times, need to get ahead of them because they're actually more literate than we ever were at that age. And because we didn't get that like emotional literacy, drugs literacy, sex literacy, porn literacy, most adults need to upskill because these young adults are looking for us to guide them. Right. But guide them with that non-judgmental, with that trust, with that openness, with that curiosity. And you simply can't do that if you're stuck in fear yourself. So no. I, feel, I feel that like I meet these young adults and I'm like, you're ahead of me. I need to go. OK, thank you. You've educated me. Thank you. You know, right back into the interest instead of judgment uh, or instead of fear and judgment um, piece, because uh I think we need to yeah, be interested in like, God, I haven't a clue what you're talking about. You know, what are you? And, 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 and I keep saying, uh, you know, actually we, it's great that we have porn literacy classes for teenagers now and to teach porn literacy, you have to be porn literate, which is where the training issue comes in. But actually we need porn literacy classes for parents and we need drug literacy classes for parents. We need, you know, and I, I, we have, compliant often coursed children in school for however many hours every day and they can't go anywhere I don't know how you create a culture where every parent in the country is going to turn up you know well I when you were talking about the course that the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre do I was thinking god wouldn't that be amazing if that was online and parents could access it so there is now the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre that I'm aware of don't have one for parents yet but Active Consent do Uh, it's run at uh, uh, the University College in Cork um, and it's called Active Consent. And every couple of months, I, I can send you a link as soon as I finish here, because I think there's actually one going on this week. I mean, the week we're recording this. Yep. And they do it. It's online. There's there's a separate one for teachers and there's a separate one for parents. And, and it's free. And as many, I mean, they can host as, as you know, thousands that turn up to, to watch us. They don't have thousands turning up, but if a thousand turned up, they can amazing that's brilliant that's a great resource yeah so we like to do a little recap we've gone a little bit over time but i think it was worth it owen thanks for your time we'd like to do a little bit of a recap at the end just because i know we've kind of thrown loads of information out there yeah so i think the thing that's come up for me a lot as you guys have been talking is kind of we, we have to think about our own shame and our own fear when we're talking to about this with kids right and and kind of Beth and you, you'd be more literate than me in that, like how to get past our own shame and our own fear to be there for our kids. Yeah. Can I say something on that? Just be, yeah. sorry, Beth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think like we want to create a culture where young people don't have the issues that we inherited when it comes to discussing these things. But unfortunately, 
we do inherit them. I inherited from my parents. If I have children, they will inherit whatever I have from me. So there needs to be a concerted effort to not pass on the shame and the guilt that we were exposed to. I don't know, Bethan, if that is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and I think, I think that can only be done with like this process of self-reflection. I mean, I'm a therapist, so I'm always like, get to therapy, you know, yeah. and therapy isn't like, you know, it's not like, you know, well, you'll be there once a week for the rest of your life. It's like if there's something that you feel really uncomfortable about, there is no way your child will be able to be comfortable about it because the family is the training ground for life. Absolutely. You know, so we can't expect teachers to raise our kids around every single aspect of life. It's totally unrealistic. And and that's okay. Like this stuff doesn't have to be perfect. Parents don't have to know word for word. It's about getting the support when they're like, fuck it, I didn't have a clue what to say then, you know? And that's how you know as a parent. I mean, every day in my parenting, I'm in a situation where I'm like, I don't know what to say inside, but I know how I'll figure it out right and that's the thing and and these young adults and children are looking for us to gently lead them and that only happens when we figured ourselves out because we can't expect children to do it and us not do it right you know yeah. you sort yourselves out you know you with your maturing brains and all the teenage stuff going on you sort yourself out. I'll just sit over here and file my nails actually you know we all have to do it together and I don't um, think it has to be this sometimes I get into my head oh we have to sit down and have this talk now oh God, and no. that kind of brings me out in hives just thinking about <laughs> it and there's there's um sometimes I've seen stuff on tv I have an 11 year old daughter and I've seen stuff on tv and I thought okay, maybe we should watch this together and that will start that conversation. And I, d I don't know whether that's the right thing or wrong thing. I'm looking at Bethan to gauge her response. But um, like you just try, but you just try and you see how it feels. But actually, sometimes it takes you know? the awkwardness out of it. It starts yeah. the conversation without you having to go, right, now we're going to talk about this. You know, it just starts that conversation and removes that awkwardness. Sometimes. Lots of little conversations. That's that's what's a big part of the We Can Send yeah. campaign now coming is that it's not the talk. It's lots of little talks. So that I love that. Culture. Um, so and the other thing I was going to say, which is very scary, I think, for parents is that, you know, 25 percent of uh, our Internet usage is porn in the adult world. And there are lots of parents who use porn and they probably need to talk about that as well with each yeah. other if they're not. And that can be very like, how am I going to talk about porn to my child if I can't even talk to myself about it or to my partner about it? Yeah. And I think that's that can be terrifying because of the stigma that we were raised uh, around our sexual development and around what turned us on and and, and how to uh, listen to our urges when, like you were saying, it's not always sexual that we're using these things for. You know? Yeah, and to be able to speak up and say that doesn't feel right for me, I'm I'm not comfortable with that. I I don't want to do that anymore. That's hugely important, I think as well. Absolutely, and I think that is happening. Uh, yeah, thank God. But, yeah, but it would just yeah be great. I mean, it will be great when it just becomes normal conversation. Yeah, I think so, and that normal conversation happens with parents. And, and like you said, I always say to parents, like talk in bullet points, 
you know, like think mentally, talk in bullet points and just drop one at a time. Yeah. You know, because parents have this awful habit of over explaining and over talking and the kids are sitting there like, oh, my God, they just spoke at me for 10 minutes again. And it felt like 72 hours, you know. Yeah. Um, and if you can start these what we're calling awkward conversations earlier, it gets easier, right? And then, so if I'm having these conversations now with my nine-year-old or my 11-year-old, then when they are teenagers and then, you know, that's maybe not the best time to start those conversations. Yeah, well, or that... even even not think of them as conversations, but like you said, drop in a bullet point when they see something or where you see something or when it comes up instead of going, God, I need to avoid that for the next few years. Just drop in, oh, look at that, uh, you know, and and so that it, it isn't even a conversation. It's just... It becomes the culture of your family. Yes. And I think, Owen, like you say something amazing then, because parents want to be that parent when the kid is like, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15. But that starts when they're very young. Yeah. You know, like if you want a trusting relationship with your kid, it happens the minute that they come into your life. And I'm not saying it's easy. It's a massive roller coaster. It's up and down. It's reparenting yourself. It's all of the above. But if you want a trusting relationship with your teenager for these conversations, that happens when they're younger. That trust happens now. I, I always say to my students, right, like when they're, you know, seeking relationships and knowing what's good and what's not, or friendships and knowing what's good and what's not. If you can find friendships that you can be vulnerable without fear in or relationships that you can be vulnerable without fear in, that's something that you want to hold on to. And I think that's because that's what we generally have with our parents that we can be vulnerable without fear if if we're lucky to have those parents we can be vulnerable without fear with our parents and I suppose it would be amazing if parents could be vulnerable without fear with their children mm. and, and that, I, terrifying idea but no it's amazing that's that, that's our next podcast thanks very much <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next week yeah absolutely and to not know and to be okay with not knowing yeah. or we don't have to solve things in fact when kids or teenagers come to me the worst part was the parents trying to fix something because they're like then they just totally overrid what was going on for me and they tried to just make it nice instead of like you know teenagers come to me like for whatever and they say you're the first person that's asked me about this and I say but you've been struggling with it for like a year and they're like yeah but people just told me how to cope with it no one asked me about it yeah you know so learn to sit in the uncomfortable absolutely mm. okay we better finish i mean we could talk for hours i feel which i feel we'll take it to the pub next um so guys uh, steph you you're you're better at finishing yeah no thank me. you just thank you thank you i think it was a really important conversation so thanks owen for joining us not at all anytime if you'd like to become a camera parent and are looking for answers to help your child, then join my online parenting community, the Cam Parenting Club, and get the answers that you're looking for to be the parent and person that you'd like to be. Go to my website, bethanoreardon.com, and I'll see you inside soon.